in my hands if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause. Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to, my, to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He is bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts, Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give thanks to the Lord, give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. Let's pray as we read God's word together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us understanding from your word by your spirit. Father, we pray that as we go through this psalm this morning, Father, would your spirit illuminate these words to us? Lord, would we understand more and more of who you are through this psalm? Father, help me as I um, go through this. Father, would you speak through me? Father, would you prepare our hearts for your word this morning? Let us see that you are the righteous judge who gives refuge to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we come, as we come to this psalm this morning, I want us to think just for a minute about justice. About justice. We always want justice, don't we? We always want people to get what they deserve. We want to see criminals walking away with a punishment. We hate to see criminals uh, unpunished. We hated it in school when that one messer child was in our group project and got the same grade as us who did all the work. We hated it. And we hate to see when athletes use performance-enhancing drugs and still walk away with gold medals. We hate injustice, and we want justice, don't we? And today, as we look at Psalm 7, we see that David also wants justice. He also wants justice, and he trusts that God is the only one that could actually give complete justice. God is completely just in his entire character and only through him can, can justice be given. Throughout this Psalm of Lament, David is pleading with God for justice. He's asking God that his wrath will be brought upon those who do not repent. But even in this heavy Psalm, and it is a heavy Psalm of Lament this morning about judgment, there is still hope and that hope is that God gives refuge to his people. So today I want you to see that God, the righteous judge, gives refuge to his people. God, the righteous judge, gives refuge to his people. Before we come to the first section um, of this psalm, have a look at kind of the introductory title there. Um, it says that it's a psalm of David, which he sang to the Lord 
concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. Now, Benjaminite, I can't say it. <laughs> um, now, we don't know about Cush um, from the rest of the Bible. We haven't heard of him anywhere else in the Bible. He only appears here. But we do know that he's a Benjamin, Benjaminite. What's going on? <laughs> and we do know that Saul um, was also of this tribe as well. Saul was also of the same tribe as Cush. And Saul was one of David's enemies. So Cush is probably in alliance with Saul, being from the same tribe. So what we can tell from this is that David is writing in response to something that his enemy Cush has said to him. David's writing in response to what his enemy Cush has said to him. So with that in mind, let's look at verses 1 and 2 again together. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. David first states, God is his refuge. In the midst of his enemies pursuing him, God is his refuge. How does David know already that God is his refuge? It's just at the start of the psalm. We have to remember that David is already working through these things. He already knows who God is. He already knows of God's justice and God's salvation, God's refuge towards him. We have to remember that David already knows in his life that God is his refuge. So then he turns to God. He turns to God who he already knows is his refuge. And he asks for God's help. And we're going to see that throughout the psalm. We're going to talk a little bit later on about how we see through this psalm that God is both David's refuge but also David's shield. In the rest of verses 1 and 2, David is showing us why he needs refuge. He needs refuge from these enemies, and his enemies are ferocious. They're, they are severe. Look at verse 2. Like a lion, they're going to tear his soul apart, rending it in pieces. These are human enemies that David's talking about. And similar to last week, um, I, I made this statement as well last week that David is being pursued by human enemies, but I'd imagine that nobody in this room is being pursued by a human enemy. There's nobody in this room who has a human enemy that's seeking to tear them apart and devour them. But we do all have a common enemy. And last week I said this as well, but this common enemy is described similar to, to these enemies. In 1 Peter 5, it says, Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's very similar language. It's the same language. The adversary, your adversary, the devil, the devil, your enemy, is like these enemies that, that David is facing here. The devil wants to devour you. The devil wants to pull you away from God. He doesn't want you to find refuge in God. But you can. In the same way that David found refuge in the midst of his enemies who were seeking to devour and tear him apart and pull him away from God, David sought refuge in God. And you can as well. If you look at verses 3 to 5 with me, we can see that David is, is seeking for, for some sort of justice from God. He says, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. And let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. He's possibly responding to something that Cush has said to him when he says, if I have done this, if I've done these things. But what has he been accused of? He's been accused of wrong in his hands, repaying his friends with evil, plundering his enemies without cause. He's being accused of all these awful things by Cush. And in the midst of, his accusa of this accusation, 
David comes humbly before God. He comes humbly before God and asks for justice from God. He's asking for justice, not only on his enemies, but on himself. If he has done this, he's saying, I'm actually wicked as well if I've done this. It would be hypocritical of David to ask for justice against his enemies if he was actually in the wrong in these things himself. We appreciate the idea of justice. We want people to get what they deserve. We hate to see when crimes go unpunished, as I said. And David feels the same. David feels that there must be justice and judgment for wrongdoing. So David asks for this, whether it's against him or whether it's against his enemies. Do we ask for this? Do we ask for God to deal justly with all of us? Or do we only want God to deal justly with those who we don't like? With that boss who takes advantage of us? With that person, that teacher in your school who doesn't listen to you? Or with those people who look down on you? Do we want God to deal justly with all people or just those who we don't like? God is just. He is just. And we should seek this justice for his sake, for God's sake. Do you ever, like David, humbly come before God and confess that actually because of your sin, you were deserving of God's wrath? Do you allow your sin to be exposed before God? Do you think, or do you think that because nobody else sees your pride or your jealousy, or your laziness or your greed, that God will overlook it? Or do you genuinely confess your sins to God? Do you just hope that God will overlook it? Or do you genuinely confess every bit of sin before God? David has humbly asked for God's justice here. He's confessed that if he's done these things, he deserves punishment. He should be punished. But he does have faith that he would not be punished because he trusts that he is righteous before God. He trusts that he's righteous before God. And that is why in verse one, David was able to say, I take refuge in God. He trusted he's righteous before God. That's how he could say that he can take refuge in God. So for us, as we come to God and confess our sins openly, as we confess our sins openly, we know that if we're found righteous in God's sight, we won't face God's wrath. And as we're going to be looking in a minute, the only way that we can be made righteous is through Christ. And that is the only way that we could come to God and ask for justice, but be able to proclaim that, he, that we are righteous before God and we won't be punished and he is our refuge. So as we come to the second section, David has said that God is his refuge. God's completely just. But David now speaks of God specifically as the just judge. Look with me at verse 6 to 11. Well, we'll read verse 6 and 7 first. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. These words, arise and awake, that David is using, is probably because he's felt like God hasn't been responding. It's maybe because he's felt like God is kind of asleep or just not active. He's calling God to stand up above his enemies 
and to bring judgment. To bring judgment. David wants justice. But why? Why does David want justice? Well, he wants God to be lifted up above his enemies. He wants God to be above his enemies. Look at verse 7 again. He says, gather all of these people, over it return on high. Essentially, this means that God will stand over these people. God will stand over all people and one day judge all people. And this is the kind of imagery that we see, is this imagery of, ju- of a day of judgment where God will one day stand over everyone as they gather before him and he will judge the wicked from the righteous. And he will act according to that judgment. Judgment is one of the key words in this passage. And as I mentioned earlier, the, we actually, we want judgment and we want justice. We want that until it comes to ourselves. We don't want to be judged for the wrong things that we've done against God. But God is the righteous judge who stands above the people. And one day, every one of us will have to stand before God. and He will justly and fairly judge every one of us. Remember, we are being weighed up against a completely perfect and holy God who knows all things. He knows all of your actions, every sin. How could I stand? before a perfect and holy God? How could we stand before a perfect and holy God and plead innocence? How? How could anyone stand and plead that they're righteous? It would be impossible for us to do that in our own strength. To come to God and say, I'm innocent and I'm righteous, be impossible on our own strength. Well, look at what David does in verse eight. He says, the Lord judges the peoples, judge me. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. What a bold call. What a bold thing to say. Judge me to stand before the perfect, holy God who knows all things and say, judge me. According to what? According to my righteousness and my integrity. According to his righteousness and his integrity. A person's righteousness is, essentially, it's it's all about how they stand before God. Are you right in God's eyes? Does God see you as righteous before him? David is saying, "You you see me as righteous before you, as right in your eyes. He also says, according to his integrity, he's clean in heart, he's innocent. But we know that in David's life, he did sin. And in every single human's life, every one of us have sinned. Every human has sinned. And how could they stand? How could David stand before God and say, I'm righteous, I'm innocent? Well, he could say it only through faith by God's grace. And we've seen this throughout the Bible in different circumstances. In Genesis 15, verse 6, for an example, in Abraham's life, it says that Abraham believed in the Lord And it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed in the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. By his faith alone, Abraham was justified. By David's faith alone, David was justified. Neither of them could have have achieved this status of righteousness by themselves, the status of innocence by themselves. There's no way that they could weigh up against the perfect God This would only happen if God 
was the one to make them righteous, if God was the one to make them righteous, then what about us? If Abraham and David had faith and it was counted to them as righteousness, how then can we be counted as righteous? Well, by, by God's grace, through faith, through belief in him, through faith in Jesus, who is in himself God, who came to this earth in human form, who lived a perfect life and died an excruciating death. He hung on that cross in our place so that through faith in him, we wouldn't be condemned, that we would be righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is no righteousness that we could achieve by ourselves. None. We can't do this on our own good works. That would be impossible to stand up before a holy God and say, I'm innocent just because I went to church today or just because I don't sin too much. I'm a pretty good person. That would be ridiculous. You cannot outweigh your sin with good works. You can't outweigh your sin in the same way that David and Abraham couldn't outweigh their sin. Think about a scale. Before a boxing match, boxers are always weighed, aren't they? So that the fight's fair. They're both, they're both weighed so that they come out at the same or an equal enough weight so that the fight's fair. But if I was to put on a boxing fight and I, got, and I brought Carl Keating up, who weighs 22 kilograms, right? And I brought him up against Aaron, who weighs 108 kilograms. Aaron's almost five times the weight of Carl. Sorry, Aaron. <laughs> but it wouldn't be a fair fight. It wouldn't be a fair fight. Carl couldn't weigh up against Aaron. There's no way, nothing that Carl could do could make him weigh up against Aaron. In the same way that we cannot weigh up to God with our goodness, our goodness can't weigh up against a holy and perfect God. There's no way, even if our sins are just little, they've already tipped the scales in the wrong direction. You can't bring those scales back, not by your own works, not by the own, your own things that you can do. It was only through the work of Jesus who took away this wrath of God that we, that was going to be set on us. He became sin. He became sin. He took on the weight of sin for us. So that through faith in him, we would be made righteous by God's grace. It's like, instead of you jumping on those scales to measure up to God, Jesus has jumped on those scales and has tipped that scale in your direction. Jesus stands on there instead of you in your place. And through Jesus, we are made righteous. You will then one day stand before God as he stands over all the people. And if you trust and believe in him, he will welcome you. As one of his children, you will not be judged into his wrath, but will be welcomed as righteous by God's grace. God will give you grace. God will give grace to his people when he justly judges the world. Look at verse 9 with me. 
David says, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous who test the minds and heart, O righteous God. You establish the righteous. God will test everyone. Not by outward appearance, not by the good works that we've done, not by the things that people see, but by their minds and their hearts. Today, are you genuinely trusting? Are you genuinely trusting in God with your heart and your mind? Or do you actually desire something else within you? Do you say that you believe and have faith in Jesus, in your mind, but in your mind and your heart, you know that it's not true? I'm really thankful. I'm really thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the openness of this church and how genuine we can be with each other. I love that we can meet here regularly and that during the regular year we can meet throughout the week and we can chat to each other and we can talk about where we're at with God. I love that openness. There's so many people in so many churches all throughout the world who go to church every week and say they have faith, they put on a face and they look like they've got faith, but genuinely deep down, they don't. Are you like that this morning? Do you have genuine faith in Jesus today? Not just outward for the world to see, not just outward, not just putting on a Sunday face for everybody else to see, but genuine because God sees your mind and your heart. God sees your mind and your heart. At the end of verse 9, David states that God is righteous. This word righteous has been another key word throughout this psalm. But for God, the word righteous means that he is always consistent in his character and he's always right and correct in his actions. No matter what God does, he never contradicts himself. He's always right. So when God tests people, he's always right. In his judgment of them, whether they're righteous or not, God is always right. But for the righteous, for those who stand in God's presence and are justified by Christ, look at how David responds to who God is for them. In verse 10, it's, David says, My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. Similar to verse 1, isn't it? David proclaims that he is, he is seen as righteous, and through that, God is his refuge and God is his shield. God is his refuge and God is his shield. In a war, armies are always prepared for their enemy's attack. They're always prepared for their enemy's attack. Armies never leave all of their troops, all of their army, armory, all of their generals in the middle of a field with no defense, with no plan, just for the enemy to attack and to destroy them in seconds. That would be ridiculous. It would be stupid. That never happens in war. No, armies have a fortress where they run to and they defend from. Armies are always safest in their fortress, in their refuge. They never leave their valuable generals out in the open to be destroyed by the enemy. They always find their safest point of defense and they hide in their fortress and they stay in their refuge and their fortress. For us and for David, as he says, his safest point, his refuge, his fortress is God. God is his shield. God is his refuge. So find your refuge in God. 
In the same way that soldiers find their refuge in a fortress, we find our refuge in God, who protects us, who shields us, and who helps us. God is our refuge, and he shields us from his wrath as a believer through the blood of Jesus. You are kept away from God's wrath. But that isn't, that isn't the case for those who don't believe. Look with me at verse 11. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. God is a righteous judge. When he judges, he is right in his judgment and he is consistent in his character through his judgment. When God judges, he judges justly. He judges correctly. And God is one who feels indignation every day. This essentially means that God feels anger towards wrong or unjust actions. God feels anger towards wrong or unjust actions. Now the language of this psalm of lament changes a little bit from verse 11 here. We're going to start to see that God will begin to act towards those who don't repent. God will begin to act He feels indignation towards their actions. His wrath stirs towards them every day. His wrath demands action. But how will he act? Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his his deadly weapons. This is vivid imagery. This vivid imagery. David doesn't hold back in his description because he knows that God won't hold back. David doesn't sugarcoat the reality of God's wrath because he knows that God won't sugarcoat it. God's not going to hold back. David now shows us the weight of God's wrath for those who want, for those who don't repent. This isn't just talking about the worst of the worst. It's not just talking about murderers. It's not just talking about adulterers. It's not just talking about the worst of the worst. But it's saying, for all who don't repent. What is repentance? Well, repentance is turning away from your sin and running to God. Turning away from the wrong things that you've done against God and turning and running to God and trusting and believing in him. But for those who don't run, who don't repent, who don't trust in God, He's like a warrior. And that's the imagery that we see. He readies his sword and his bow. His weapons are drawn. They're not passive. His bow is readied. His sword is wet, is ready for action. This is real. Remember in war, armies aren't always prepared or are always prepared for their enemies' attacks. And when they find refuge in their fortress, that fortress isn't unarmed. The fortress isn't unarmed. We were at Spike Island um, this last week, and my first time at Spike Island, it's great. But Spike Island, the fortress on Spike Island was designed in such a way, it was designed in a star shape, and that was made in a way that there would be no blind spots. No matter where the enemy would come from, there would be absolutely no blind spots. And at every point of the day, there would always be a soldier standing, protecting the base from every corner, there would be another soldier with their guns loaded, cocked and pointed, waiting for an enemy to attack. Army bases aren't passive. And our fortress, the Lord, he isn't passive. His wrath is very real. And it's real for every person 
who doesn't repent. Look at verse 14 and 16 with us. These verses show us a description of the wicked who are the unrepentant people. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he's made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. They conceive evil, pregnant with mischief, give birth to lies. Lies and mischief might not seem too bad to us. Again, it's against a holy and perfect God, and they do come out of an evil heart. And this heart builds and it runs from God. It does the opposite of repentance, which is running to God, but it runs from God and would actually take sides with the devil. Would actually take sides with the devil. David describes that the wicked essentially dig their own graves. They dig a pit and then fall into their own hole. They're stuck. The imagery in verse 15 and 16 both paints both points to the fact that the wicked fall back on themselves. They set their own traps. And Proverbs 1.18 talks about this as well. Proverbs 1.18 says, These men, these wicked men, these wicked people, lie in wait for their own blood, and they set an ambush for their own lives. They set their own trap. Are you setting a trap for yourself today? Are you digging your own grave? We appreciate it when people get what they deserve. We want people to get what they deserve. But we hate it when we are the ones that deserve it. But you don't have to face this punishment. You don't have to. God has opened up a way. God has opened up a way for you to come to know him, for you to be righteous before him. And this is saying that you can't blame anyone but yourself now. You can't blame anyone but yourself for this now. You've heard the word of God. You've heard that there is complete hope found in Jesus. Stop digging your own grave. Grace and life abundant is found in living for God. Come to God today. Ask him for forgiveness. Repent and trust in him. God, the righteous judge, is a refuge for his people. He he does judge. And he will judge every single one of us. And that judgment will be just. God is always right. He is always consistent in his character. He is the shield and refuge for his people. And this truth that God is just is something that promotes praise. God is righteous and that promotes praise. Look at verse 17. David finishes this psalm in saying, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. David finishes this psalm with thanksgiving and with praise. Why? After such a heavy psalm, after all this talk of judgment, justification, this, this talk of people, of God wetting his sword, of these active bits of God's wrath that we've seen. Why, after such a heavy psalm, can he now praise? Well, because of God's righteousness. Because 
of God's righteousness. He's always consistent in character. God hasn't tricked anyone into his own wrath. But he's made David righteous through faith. And he desires to make you righteous through faith. If you come to him today. So David is thankful and gives praise to God. And God has given a way for all who believe in him to find refuge in him from the enemy, the devil. We should give thanks today for that. If you're in Christ, we should give thanks. This should promote us to praise. The creator of the whole universe who is holy and perfect, who knows every single thing about you and about this earth, he welcomes you. He welcomes you. He's made a way for you to come to know him. He's willing to balance out the scales through Jesus. Come to Jesus today. He doesn't, he doesn't judge his righteous for their own actions. We're protected by the blood of Jesus. There's no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ. So come with thanksgiving and praise to God, the righteous judge, who gives refuge to you, his people. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. Lord, we're thankful that even in the midst of this heavy and difficult psalm that we, that we read, Father, that we can give thanks and we can give praise to your righteousness. That even though we are deserving of this wrath, even though we've done so much against you, because of your grace, we can be saved through Christ Jesus. So we give you thanks and praise. And I pray that everybody here would know that truth, would know that they can be saved by God's grace from not a passive God, but from the act of God. Father, would you show us that? Would you reveal that to us today, that we can be saved by your grace? And would we find refuge in you, our shield and our fortress? Father, thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.